Welcome to Mid-Century Living, your weekly podcast about everything mid-century and how to bring the best of the mid-century to your everyday lives. Welcome to Mid-Century Living, the show where we talk all about the mid-20th century then and now. I'm Gonzalo, and today we're doing things a little differently. But before we get started, if you're enjoying hearing about the mid-century, please subscribe, drop us a like, and a review on whichever platform you're listening to us on. It really helps. So today we're talking about one of the most recognizable cars from the mid-20th century, which is still on the road in almost the very same look as its original version. If you guessed Jeep Wrangler, then you're right. But Jackie's on vacation, so we have brought in a guest host to help me cover today's topic. Please welcome Alex McGowan to our podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, honored to be a guest here. Um, so I've been friends with both Jackie and Gonzalo since high school. Um, really proud to be uh, be here to represent uh, my, my current role now. I, I actually work as a designer at Jeep. And so just a bit of background on myself. Like I said, we, we went to high school together. Um, and then right after high school, I moved up to Detroit. I went to design school at the College for Creative Studies up here. Um, and then right after college, I got hired at uh, FCA at the time. It's Stellantis now. But been working my way through different jobs in the design office at Stellantis, and now I'm uh, interior design manager for Jeep and Wagoneer. Um, so I work on production interiors for uh, a couple of future products, stuff, stuff that I can't really talk about right now. I uh, also just need to make it clear that like anything that I say in here, right, all of my you know my views, my opinions, they're my own, right. I don't represent Stellantis by any means. Uh, I certainly don't speak on behalf of Jeep, but I am a huge fan of Jeep. I've always been a huge fan of Jeep. I've always really been in love with Jeep as a brand. Uh, Jeep is a cultural icon and really been following kind of the progression of Wranglers my entire life. So really proud to work for this company. And I remember you had a Jeep in high school. I did have a Jeep in high school. Yeah, my first car was a Jeep Grand Cherokee. I always wanted a Jeep. So I, when I finally got a chance, I, I bought one. So I am part of the Jeep family now. <laughs> and we're proud to have you aboard. <laughs> yeah, Happy to spread the sickness. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, so let's get the ball rolling. Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Jeep Wrangler, why it started and uh, why it's so cool? Yeah, for sure. So, so uh, I'm, I'm by no means am I like a historian. Um, there are people that I work with that are much more versed in the history of Jeeps and, and the Wrangler in particular. But we do study all of these things so in the design office, right? We study all these things so we understand the cultural significance, the cultural impact that these products have. So as we're designing the next generation of products, we work some of that into the design, the styling, make sure that we don't lose what makes each one of these products special. Um, and so we do kind of touch on a lot of the history of it. And so I've kind of just just kind of fallen in love, like I said, with with the brand, with the product uh, for my, my entire career here. Um, so talking about the Willys Jeep, the Jeep Wrangler, um, what everybody knows is the, you know, the, what you think of when you think Jeep. Awesome. So jumping right into it, um, just like a lot of other things that are important to American life at this time. Uh, it was started in the Second World War. So the first Willys four-wheel drive, light four-wheel drive, was called the Willys Quad. Shortly thereafter, there was another vehicle called the Willys MA. So these were sort of like prototype light four-wheel drive vehicles um, that Willys manufactured. And Willys is the company that is, it became Jeep. It, it went through several names, and we're going to talk about that as we go through some of the history here. Um, but Willys Overland is, a, is the company that originally manufactured the Jeep. And so they, they made the MA. And the MA was built and it was sort of used on battlefields by some of our allies. This was in 1940, and this was really before the US joined the war. 
and it was only offered to them on sort of a Lend-Lease program. It was kind of in that sort of gray area where the U.S. hadn't joined the war, and so we couldn't officially like take a side. Um, and so we, but we would, you know, provide armaments to what would become our allies. And then in 1941, the U.S. Army and the Office of the Quartermasters they kind of put out a, a call for a light four-wheel drive vehicle. So if you imagine like in in a battlefield, right before the invention of the Jeep, if you had um, and I, and I apologize. So I'm not going to get into a whole lot of the technical stuff. I'm kind of cautious that uh, some of your audience may not care about how four-wheel drive systems work and gear ratios <laughs> and tire sizes and all that stuff. So I won't get into any of that. Yeah, we're not we're not a technical podcast by any means. But if you think about it, so like when we go back to the first world, the Second World War, um, the reason why the U.S. Army Infantry and the Office of the Quartermasters they needed a four-wheel drive vehicle, light four-wheel drive vehicle, because if you wanted to move military equipment from the ships from the ports from you know wherever the things were manufactured to the battlefront where people were actually fighting the war and the smallest thing that you could use pretty much was a truck so they asked for a light vehicle because if you wanted to get a you know a machine gun and several thousand rounds of ammunition which weighs you know five five hundred pounds a hundred a thousand pounds you were you mostly if you wanted to get that to the battlefront soldiers had to carry it on their backs right so the Willys can't be necessarily credited with inventing the concept of a light four-wheel drive. It actually came from a design brief that was put out by the U.S. Army. Um, and there were three companies that answered the call. So Willys designed the Willys MB in 1941. Bantam was another one. Bantam had an, as another you know, competitive company at the time. And then actually Ford, believe it or not, had their um, they had their vehicles as well. So all three um, companies put out uh, a prototype vehicle. They delivered it to the U.S. Army for testing. Um, and basically, Willys, the Willys MB uh, won the contract to manufacture all these vehicles for the U.S. Army. Now, because of the scale of the war, all three companies actually got contracted to build Jeeps under the by the design, basically, of the Willys MB. And so the largest number of Willy, you know, Willys MBs that were out there were actually four GPWs the Willys vehicle, but they were manufactured by Fords because they just had the manufacturing capacity and the expertise. So basically the, the, the losers of the contract still had to build the not their design? Yeah, I mean, they could build everything faster than any, you know, they could build bombers faster than the Nazis could shoot them down. And it was the same way with these light four-wheel drives. They could design and build four-wheel drives really quickly and they could pack them into little crates and they could ship them over either on planes or trains or... Um, However, they needed to get them to the battlefront. Um, the Willys MB had a, a small four-cylinder engine, but what it was, it was simple and it was durable and it would run whether it was super hot in Africa chasing Rommel through the sand or whether it was freezing cold and it was hauling wounded soldier, soldiers during the Battle of the Bulge. It was reliable and that was the thing that the U.S. Army needed at the time. And what's really incredible to me is like the formula was pretty much set in 1941 with that original Willys MB design, and it is largely unchanged. I will, I will definitely keep that in mind next time I go to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you should. Yeah, you're driving a hero. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I, I've heard this, like stories from World War II soldiers saying that they could take it apart and put it back together. Is yep. that something that was by design or just soldiers being soldiers? Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, the if you look at the design of the original 1941 Willys MB, it's very simple. 
different. There's no unnecessary parts to it. It is so essentialist and it's and it's design and it's execution because of that. Yeah. Number one, they needed to ship them. They were manufactured here in Toledo and they needed to be shipped all the way over to France or to North Africa or to wherever the war front was. So they could either pack them into crates, they could uh, they could drop them out of airplanes, right? They were dur durable enough that you just <laughs> hook a couple of parachutes to them and roll them out of the back of a cargo plane. But yes, they're designed to be repaired in the field. Everything is simple and durable. And that's what people love about the Willys design. And that's, you know, it's a trait you're going to see as we kind of go through some of the future iterations. The most successful versions of the Jeep have always been simple, durable, just honest, good cars. Awesome. So how, how does this wartime Jeep make it into into the world that we live in yeah okay so we came out of the second world war we have all this new industrialization capacity um and so our cars at the time were a reflection of that we, we were america was kind of uniquely positioned where there was a certain amount of wealth in the middle class so it's like an entire population that really has has had like 30 40 years of just really devastating history to live through and then all of a sudden like the dog days are over and we've got all these great scientists and we've got all this wealth and we've got new cities and new things that are being built and factories that can make all kinds of wonderful things. Um, mm -hmm. And you see that optimism kind of reflected in American car design at this time. American cars in the 1950s are awesome. They're really beautiful to behold. You know, no other cars in the world look the way that American cars do. And they're so distinctly American. They could not exist anywhere else at any other time period in history. The other thing that you see is uh, GIs come back from the war they had something that they used in the war as a tool and they thought that would be great to have at home when i get back to my property and so you see things like the dodge power wagon becomes a, a civilian vehicle as well uh and the first willys cj2a the cj is a civilian jeep um they were designed for civilians to use and like i said so when they come back from the war um we, we call the flat fendered era um, if you look at these vehicles they are very simple the hood is like dead flat and it just rolls over the headlights on either side uh you look at the fenders the fenders are dead flat and then they mm -hmm. just bend at an angle and they come down behind the front wheel and the body sides are very simple again you know they're designed to be simple durable uh and repairable in the field and all of those traits make it a perfect uh tool on the farm as well so people get they get back from the war and they've got big farm properties uh and they need to get around their farm or they need to, uh, something to go hunting with um, these are great backwoods, four-wheel drive, utility mules. And so they become really successful. Uh, you know, sales become really successful in the United States. Um, and so that the flat-fendered era, the CJ2 and the CJ3, um, are really where the the Jeep, you know, comes from being a, a military purpose vehicle to also a civilian vehicle and a civilian tool. Um, shortly after that, uh, in the early 1950s, Jeep as a company was bought by Kaiser. Um, and some of the coolest cars um, in Jeep's history were made during the Kaiser Willys era. But to me, like the icon for, for Jeep and Jeep the Wrangler um, is really the CJ5. And the CJ5 comes out in 1953. And also critically at the same time, 1953, is when the first sort of gatherings of uh, Jeep enthusiasts, Jeep owners, um, they first kind of gather in an area in a, in a part of the country called uh, Rubicon Springs in California, uh, just outside of uh, Lake Tahoe, on the south side of Lake Tahoe, uh, for the first Jeepers Jamboree. jamboree. Um, and this is an event that's still going on today. It's been going on since 1953. 
Um, but why this is critical to me, um, it sort of reflects the first time that Jeep transitions from being uh, a tool. It, you know, it went from being a military tool to being kind of an agricultural tool. It starts to become this recreational kind of plaything, um, and it starts to take on this cultural icon of sort of emblemizing freedom um, and emblemizing the access uh, access to the backcountry for people that never had that before. Uh, and so what I love about, you know, especially the CJ5 is it's like it looks much more friendly and it starts to become a recreational tool. And what I love about it is like this is kind of tr Jeep's transition to being like the, the brand that's all about kind of playing in the woods and just the general joy of being out in the wilderness. Jeep and since the CJ5, especially since the civilian Jeeps has kind of managed to shake off a little bit of its rudimentary, you know, military aspect and start to welcome in this other aspect where it's kind of like, it's okay to be friendly. It's okay to be out in the woods. It's cool to be out in the woods. It's cool to be going on an adventure. Uh, the, the freedom of being outside uh, is really exciting and really part a core piece of this brand. Um, and then it, the other thing that's really cool about, especially the CJ5, it's almost this, it almost becomes this kind of like classless thing where it's designed like a pair of Levi's where it's just simple and durable, but now it looks doesn't look out of place in the nicest cities. It's sort of classless in the way that you could be super wealthy and you could drive a CJ5 or you could be dirt poor and you could drive a CJ5 and it doesn't look out of place in the middle of the woods or in the middle of a street. They're just sort of this un uniquely fun thing. And they kind of put themselves in there with uh, other sort of uniquely outdoorsy kind of fun things. Like, you know, in more of the modern era, it's like, you think about mountain bikes and you think about trail running and just how fun it is to be out in the woods. That's what Jeeps are all about. And I think that's really cool. I think it's, it's unique to, uh, to Jeep as a brand that they have that in their, in our kind of back pocket. I did have a lot of fun out on the trails last time I went and I've been dying to go back. Yeah. Cause it's fun to be playing in the woods. That's what it's all about. Um, talked about the Kaiser Willys era. So Kaiser owned, uh, the Willys brand during the, 1950s and 1960s uh and then in the later 60s and 70s uh we go into what's called the amc era um and then another thing that was happening in in this time period um there was a couple of like major existential pressures that were kind of placed on the automotive industry at this time and so you kind of get to what what we in the automotive design space what we refer to as the malaise era um jeep in particular really suffered from is there was all in in the early 70s there was a real focus on vehicle safety for the first time uh, but a CJ5 uh, and a CJ6, like these cars are not very safe at highway speeds because they're big and they're tall. And the things that make a vehicle really super good off-road make them really particularly bad at highway speed. And so the, the, the CJs got taken to task because of, because of the dangers of rollovers, basically. And so that was kind of, they kind of spelled the end for the CJ5. Uh, right around this time was also the CJ7 was launched. CJ7 was a little bit uh, longer version of the CJ5. They changed the body side a little bit, um, but really it carries a lot of the same familiar shapes from the CJ5. All the CJ5, 6, and 7 uh, are really kind of the visual icons, uh, some of the coolest and most memorable Jeeps. But yeah, like I said, once you start getting in some of these safety requirements, uh, it really sort of brought an end to the classic Jeep as we know it. Uh, and the YJ did get much safer, and then the the TJ that followed it became became even much more safer. And so we've we've always been making these improvements, but 
yeah, unfortunately, the the, the CJ5, 6, and 7 were, were not the safest vehicles on the road. Uh, and we got taken to task for that as well at the time. Um, I want to mention a couple of, I, I won't say like imitators uh, necessarily. I won't, you know, it's, it's unfair to say that they copied the Jeep design because uh, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but it's certainly, they were, we could say that they were inspired by Jeep. Uh, so the first one would be like the series Land Rovers in 1948, I believe was the first series one Land Rover. Um, and basically the same concept as the CJ2A. The Land Rover was uh, invented so that British farmers could have a light four-wheel drive to use on their farms. Um, the Land Rovers became the Defenders, uh, so it's still sold today as the Land Rover Defender. Hmm. The other one, uh, the Toyota FJ40, uh, that is a world-famous vehicle. Um, then the, the Ford Bronco and the International Scout came around in the 1960s. A little bit more of a take on the CJ5. Um, and then the other one that I want to mention is Mahindra. Mahindra actually is a manufacturer of farming equipment in India, and they actually had the contract to manufacture CJ2s and CJ3s all the way through like the 1990s. Uh, and so you will see like Mahindra made Jeeps. Um, but yeah, we got into a lawsuit with Mahindra because they were selling you know, Jeeps, quote unquote Jeeps. You can you can definitely tell that they're like cop. Well, I don't want to say copying because if they had the contract to do it, then yeah it's a some degree allowed there's some gray area there they had the contract to manufacture it locally for the indian market but with the understanding that they weren't going to sell them in any markets where we sell our actual jeep products our flagship products so yeah that's that's kind of where we're at uh cool so now that we know a little bit more about how the jeep came to be what it meant to mid-century american how does it affect us today so, uh, like, yeah, for the sake of your listeners, when we talk about bringing the, the mid-century into today, if you want a vehicle that drives like a car from the 1950s, from the middle of the century, but has, you know, all of the modern safety stuff that you would actually want in a car so you don't die, <laughs> the, the Wrangler is really your only game in town. Um, the Wrangler, like I said earlier when, I, when we were talking about the Willys MB, if you crawl underneath the Wrangler, the construction, the, the philosophy behind it is exactly the same as the formula that we created back in 1941. And it still drives, you know, like a traditional four wheel drive. Nothing drives like a Jeep does. And that's sort of for better and worse. And like there, are, if you get it, there's nothing else that gives you that sort of Jeep feeling, right? That sort of bounciness, that sort of jouncy ride. That's, that's part of the fun, right? If you're into Jeeps, if you're into off-roading, if you're just into the outdoors, uh, it puts a smile on your face everywhere you go in it. Um, and that's what's so special about them. And even like, you know, we've got a lot of competitors in the market now that build other off-road capable things, but they don't give you the same feel that a Jeep does. Now, we, we do these things that we call Easter eggs. We do it because, you know, it, on, on the design side, it's fun for us to just kind of, just, just to play, right? Basically. <laughs> so, uh, but Jeep is famous for this now. We do it all over the vehicle. So if you, if you look at a Jeep, you look at some of the details. So uh, I'll, I'll only call out a few because I don't want to give them all away. The idea is that there's these little details that are exist in the design of your Jeep product that you'll find like weeks after you've owned it and you go, oh, I didn't know that was, oh, that's kind of cool. I like that. <laughs> but also it's like a subtle reminder that like there's humans that actually work on these things. Like they're not, these aren't just machines that are cranking out, you know, a bunch of vehicles. There's actually people with a sense of humor and there's people that, like myself that 
just draw pictures of these things and totally love them. And, uh, and we put our heart and soul into them. One that I will say is a 100% a nod to the 1941 Willys MB. If you open up the rear tailgate, there's a data plate on there that shows all of the capacities, all of the, like how much weight you can carry in it and all of the angles for off-road capability and your gear ratios and what spec your axles are and all that stuff. And that's taken exactly from uh, again, you know, you think about like soldiers in, in the Second World War, that data plate was on the passenger glove box. There's a quote unquote glove box. There was a small little box on the passenger side. Um, but you put that data plate in there because when you're throwing a whole bunch of ammo in there, you're being shot at and you just need to get out of there. You need to know, like, how capable is this thing or, you know, can I get through this this river or whatever? How deep is the water? So all that information was right there on the passenger side. So we don't put it on the passenger side because we wanted to do the interior space a little bit nicer, but it is in the rear compartment. So all that information is there. And the design was clearly inspired by the 41. Yeah, I, 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 I love the little, I, I don't want to give it away, but I kind of want to say that the, I love the little Jeep climbing in the window Yeah, that I have in mind. So yeah, I love the, the little Easter eggs. I love the, the, all the rules that come with, with owning a Jeep, all the, <laughs> All the, the, it's just, at least to me, and I'm not, I mean, like I have a Jeep, I love my Jeep, but I don't use it all the time as you should a Jeep because I'm boring. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the like community behind it, the like go anywhere, do anything people, the like yeah people who do stuff to their car and they're like, oh, it's a Jeep thing. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> you know, and I kind of go, I'm of like two minds at this because Yes, it's cool that you have all these enthusiasts that love the off-road and they love to go rock crawling. Uh, but again, you know, I, I, I like that the Jeep is kind of for everybody. I like that it's not just one sort of person that's attracted to it. Again, like I go back to it being like a, like a pair of Levi's, right? It's not just one body type that fits it. It's not just one sense of style. They look good on everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And you don't have to go off-road. If you just want to want something cool to cruise the boulevard in and go out, you know, with your family for ice cream, uh, the Jeep is a great way to do that. Kids love Jeeps. You know, my kids love Jeeps. Um, it, it looks good in some of the like richest, you know, postcodes in America. And it also looks good just in the middle of nowhere in Arkansas, right? Where you, you just see a Wrangler, you're like, yeah, that fits wherever it is. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that looks good. I like that. We can get kind of gatekeepy with with all of the off-road capability and oh, you've got to have 37 inch tires and you've got to have these gears and you've got to have this gear and steel bumpers. And, and that's, that's for some people. That's great for a lot of people. I love off-roading, but that's not for everybody. And that's not the only thing that's attractive about Jeeps as a vehicle. You know, they should invite other people to come and have this experience. And that's why I like Jeep, you know, people that own Wranglers, they all wave at each other. They all just, they just kind of this acknowledgement of like, Hey, yeah, I see you. Yeah. You're cool. I'm cool. We're all cool. I yeah. love the Jeep wave. I know that it's, you know, you can tie it back to the CJ and like the soldiers coming back and like mm -hmm. that recognition, acknowledging each other. <laughs> and I, I like that there's rules to it. Uh, <laughs> not that everybody follows them, but like the, the it's a, it's a necessary action for a Jeep owner in yeah. to honor each other. And how you have the the classic way of just simply lifting your finger, your pointer, and your middle finger mm -hmm. at the steering wheel, and, and that's like, if you have this, the doors on, that's how you do it. If you have the doors off, you can do the like the the thumb and 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 pinky. I mean, listeners cannot see what I'm doing on the screen right now. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I love that. I, I love that. Like, there's rules as far as 
how you do it because you, you know, everyone's required to follow in the tradition. Um, yeah. Waving at things like Hummers and FJs is prohibited. But <laughs> also, like, there's like a, a hierarchy in your Jeep based yeah. off like what the Jeep is, like what it's got, you know, what has been done to it. And like the lower hierarchy Jeep is supposed to start or initiate the wave. And then the, <laughs> the responding Jeep can choose to either acknowledge with yeah. the wave or, or ignore it because they don't think that, uh, the, the, the lower Jeep is, is good enough. So. Yeah. This is a whole Jeep wave subreddit. Is that, yes. is that what I'm? My Jeep scores 33 for whatever that's oh. worth. I don't, I, I tried looking for like, what's a good score and I couldn't find it. <laughs> so we're going to say that it's a good score. 33 out of 40. <laughs> it's probably 33 out of a hundred. <laughs> Uh, yeah, again, the, the Jeep wave is just that it's like that simple acknowledgement that you're part of a community. Um, and it's always cool when you when you feel like you're part of a community, you feel like you're part of something. And part of this, like this having the lineage that goes all the way back to the Second World War. Yeah, it, it, it kind of gives people just those a, a good feeling. Do you know when the, the ducking started? Because for those of you who are listening who have a Jeep, maybe you have been ducked. This is something that happens where like someone leaves a little rubber duck on your car uh, and you've been ducked. And I have six ducks on my, on my car now because last week someone left me a pumpkin looking one. It's a little rubber duck and it's got oh. like a little jack-o'-lantern on it. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I don't know exactly when it started. I know it's, it's like within the last five years or so. I know it's a relatively new thing because yeah, when I first hired in a Jeep, yeah, ducking was not a thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's cool. It's just kind of like, you know, we have these things that are like, just like the Jeep wave, like nobody it was never like written down. There are no rules for the Jeep wave. I supposedly now there is, I guess. And you're telling me there's a subreddit <laughs> that I need to get onto. Uh, these things sort of, sort of evolved through naturally out of like, that community of owners, right? And you, you own a Jeep, you become a community of owners. You're part of that community of owners and Jeep people do weird things. For me, I, I use the ducks because most people put the ducks on their dashboard. Uh, yep. so that I could write, cause the Jeep has that very flat windsuit, windscreen, windshield. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and so mine sit right there and a lot of people do. And I, to me, like if I see an oncoming Jeep on the other side of the traffic and I yeah. see the ducks, I'll wave because I feel like they're going to wave back. If there's no ducks, then I'm like, well, they probably won't wave back. <laughs> <laughs> now you're wave. shaming people for not having enough ducks. No, 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 no. I'm not <laughs> shaming. I'm not shaming. I'm just saying like, you're... that's. <laughs> You're counting their ducks to see if they're worthy of a wave. <laughs> yeah. So th there's a couple of other things. I mean, like whenever we like, introduce new designers to the design office and they start working on Jeep products for the first time, there's always like these tall tale legends. I don't know if they're actually true or not, but there's stuff that like we spread around because as far as we can tell, these are the truth. Um, so one of them, and it, this was like one of the first times that I was working on, uh, on the JL uh, years ago the design chief at the time told me Jeeps are kind of unique. You know, we don't, we don't waste time with sort of frivolous luxuries. Like, and, and one of those frivolous luxuries was doors. Doors were uh, an optional extra until 1976. You didn't need doors on a Jeep. <laughs> so uh, from 1941 until 1976, the first 35 years of production, you did not get doors with your Jeep. You got it's your Jeep. You got a four-wheel drive vehicle. And if you wanted extra, you could pay for soft doors and you could zip them closed. 
but you know, Jeeps are sort of also unique where we've intentionally designed them so that you can still take those doors off. Uh, the hinges are on the outside and there are four bolts that you can unscrew and those doors come right off. And it's so much fun to drive down the street without doors on. Um, the windshield still folds down. You know, the original MB Willys, the, the military one, the windshield folded down because you might need to uh, shoot out the front while you're driving. And then the later civilian Jeeps, you know, you would use them for hunting or for safaris or things like that. So it kind of carried that lineage on. But today's Jeep too, you can unbolt a few things on the front and your front windshield will fold down as well. And you can drive with your windshield folded down, your doors taken off. Um, it's sort of unique in that way. Again, it's adaptable. That the Jeep comes with its own toolkit to do it. So there's no excuse. Yep. The toolkit and the instructions come in the center console or in the glove box. So yeah. we, we encourage you to get outside, right? Go play in the woods, right? Again, that's what this brand is all about. Go play in the woods, go experience the freedom of driving a four wheel drive. Yeah. Uh, one of the other fun things that, you know, that we, again, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true or not. I don't know where these statistics come from, but up until the creation of the JK with JK, which is the 2007 Wrangler, it was the first model, uh, that we offered a four door. Um, so it was our Jeep was always a two door. It was always a recreation vehicle. It was designed to go into the backcountry. Um, the four door JK was the first time that this was actually used as an everyday vehicle by most people. And so it, that's what it exploded in popularity with the invention of the JK, because now you could you could have this thing that looks like a Jeep, but also you can use it every day as a practical vehicle. And so we sell a ton of four doors now. Um, but before we created the four door, the most common cross shopped vehicle with a JK, the most common cross shop vehicle was a speedboat. Oh. People are just <laughs> looking for, <laughs> well, I'm, I want a thing that's going to be fun outside. Uh, <laughs> I'll either get the Jeep or I'm going to get a boat. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, we were the inventors of the modern compact sport utility vehicle. So like where used to be like, it was always like this thing about big American sedans. Like that was the common American car. The common American car today is a midsize SUV. The common car all around the world is a midsize SUV. The first, you know, sort of midsize SUV was the Jeep Cherokee. It was really the XJ back in 1987. Um, so we, we like to pride ourselves as kind of the inventors of, of that sort of vehicle segment. Nice. Yeah. So it looks like, like we've, we, I, I want to say we, we landed the plane, which is what I usually say. Let's just say we parked the Jeep. All right. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> awesome. So thank you for taking us through the history and, uh, how it still impacts us today. Typically listeners, now is the time where we would talk a little bit about an etiquette tip from the mid century, but. Since we have a guest today, we're going to do a little th things a little bit different. We're going to continue that. If you guys listen to our mid-century intro, meet the hosts episode, both Jackie and I talked a little bit about who we would invite from the mid-century to our dinner party. So I would like to forward that question on to you, Alex. Is, are there <laughs> any people that you would invite from the mid-century to your uh, dinner party? Yeah. So I, I'm going to caveat this slightly. Because if, if it has to be somebody like in the automotive space, then it'd be Pete Brock, uh, who's a, a car designer. Who, he designed the 1963 Chevrolet Corvette, and then he went on to uh, to do the Shelby Daytona Cobra. Uh, so some of the, my favorite like American cars of all time. But my actual answer in like you know all of history really is Winston Churchill. Even in the mid century, in the 1950s, at the end of his life. Uh, and I would caveat also your uh, dinner party thing with, I I just want to sit by a fire and have a cigar with Winston Churchill. 
and let him tell me whatever stories he wants to tell me from his life. Just one of the most incredible biographies of any living person ever in the history of humanity. He like if he had done one one hundredth of the things that he had done in his life, you would think this man had an incredible life and he has done it all. And he was there for the First World War and the Second World War. And he was a war correspondent during the Boer War in South Africa. And he was like involved with the, the last great cavalry charge in the British Army. How have you lived this many lives and, and been involved and been a key player in so many different things? Um, just, yeah, whatever stories he wants to tell me, I'm all ears. I will sit and listen to him tell me all the stories forever. And yeah, I just love to have a cigar with Winston Churchill. Awesome. So uh, thanks, Alex, for taking us from the car that helped win the World War to the go anywhere, do anything car that is the Jeep. Uh, thank you for taking us through its history and sharing with us how it still impacts the world today. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Good to be here. Listeners, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at info.mcliving at gmail.com. You can send us comments, edits, and even future show ideas. You can also send us questions for Alex via our email or our Instagram page at MCL Podcast. Uh, and with that, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Mid-Century Living. Please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave a review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at MCL Podcast. See you next Friday.